Okay. Ksiv, it says, it says that God created the human being in his form. In whose form? In the Tzalem of Elikim. He created man. <coughs> and there's another verse that says, that in the Tzalem, that in the form of Elikim, in the form of God, man was made. Now, there is an interesting thing if you notice the verse. The verse is saying two ideas. The verse is saying, first of all, that the human being was created in a form of God. And that's the first verse. B'tzalmai. Vayivra lekim adam b'tzalmo. In the tzalem. And then the verse goes on to make it very clear which tzalem. B'tzalem elekim. In the form of elekim. Now we know that God has many different names. He has the the name of Yud Kevavke, he has the name of Aleph Dalad Nun Yud, he has the name Shakai, he has many different names. So when we say over here that the human being was formed, was created in the form of God, the verse then goes on to explain in exactly which form of God. Okay? And the verse says, B'Tselem Elikim. Now, so the verse is saying those two aspects, that man was created in the form of God, and in the form of God, which personifies the name Elikim. To understand the deepest concepts of what Selim means, what the form, when we talk about the form of God, what that's supposed to mean, it is from, an, uh, from the area of thought that exists in the highest realms of this world. In other words, to really understand what that means. And to really understand what the Tselem of God is would encompass a large portion of the Zohar to get into a discussion of what the Tselem means. But what we're going to do is we're going to give the simplest translation of the word Tselem, what the word Tselem means. Harishainim that the Rishainim say, Al Adam that let us make man in our in our form and in our structure. Okay? In other words, he's saying here that he's <coughs> he doesn't in any way intend to give the epitome of the definition of what the word Salam of the Kim means. But a simple translation of the word Salam over here would also afford us some meaning that we would necessarily not have otherwise. Vuhu, Kimilas Tselamudmus, when we use the word Salam or demus, either one of those two words, we don't mean it in its literal sense. Why? Because it says very clearly in Yeshaya, what kind of a form can you give to God? So the first thing that Reb Chaim Balazhin is saying is that the simplest translation of Tzalem cannot be used. Because the simplest translation of Tzalem means a form or a structure. And Yeshaya already said, What kind of a form or structure can you define God as having? God doesn't have form or structure in the way that we understand it. <coughs> Ella. So if that's the case, So then what we have to say, the word Selim means, is that the word Selim only means a similarity. It doesn't mean a form or a structure. So when we say that the human being was created in the Selim Elikim, we would translate that as saying that the human being was created in a similar fashion to what God is. Right? But it doesn't mean the literal sense that it means a structure or a form. Kimai, 
like it says, there's a Pasuk, Demisi Lakas Midver, that you are compared to the Kas Midver, that's some kind of an animal that roams in the desert. Okay? Now, definitely, what the Navi was trying to say over here wasn't that you look like a Kas Midver, that you like, look like that animal and that your structure is that. But again, the word Demisi, which means similarity, it doesn't only mean form and structure, it means similarity. He wasn't saying in that verse that the person got wings and a beak of that of that animal. And he wasn't he didn't mean to say that he was he now was looking like a kaas. But what does he mean? But it was just a comparison that now at this stage in his life he was similar to the actions of the Ka'as. What does that mean? Chayanavinad. Okay, that he was moving around and wandering around with no real place to be. Kimai Hakaas Midbar. Shuhutsipar Baidid Umaifit Mimakam Lamakan. The Kas Midbar is a kind of bird that doesn't have any normal place where it stays. It's constantly moving around. Right? And that's what it means in the simplest translation. So over here also, when we say the word salem, we mean the same kind of an idea as we mean when we say the word mus. Now, there is a difference between the word salem and the word mus, which the Haggah, the footnotes on the side, goes into a little bit. But in a very basic way, both the word salem and mus mean a similarity between the human being and between God in some way. And in that, we call, we say that the human being was created in the salem of God. The word Salem and the word Dmus have similarity in themselves between each other, what the word Dmus and Salem means. <coughs> now we're not going to go into what the difference is at this particular point. That's not the most important thing. Let's first see what he says in this regard about Salem al-Akim. Right? Now, we do have two interpretations of what the word Salam al-Kim means based upon things that we've learned in the past. Right? If we recall what we learned in the Rav Moshe Chaim Litzata, we know that when we say that the human being was created in the Salam al-Kim, we know that, that what that means is that the human being, the structure of the human being is the end result and a mirror of God's conduct. If you recall what we said, the Yadayim, the Aznayim, the Raglayim, the Enayim, they are all symbolic of conducts of God. And then we said that not only are they symbolic of conducts of God, but they are in the physical realm of this world, the end result of those conducts. In other words, because God decided that he wants this kind of an attribute to come into the world, so in the form of the human being, he got his eyes. Because he wanted this attribute to come to the world, that's the end result of his hands and his feet. So one of the translations that we have for Tzalem Alakim is that the conducts and attributes of God mirror themselves in the very structure of the human being. That's one translation that we have for Tzalem al-Kim. Again, not a literal translation, but as if to say that we mirror the attributes of what God, how God reveals himself in this world. That's one translation that we have of Tzalem al-Kim. A second translation that we have of Tzalem al-Kim is one that's afforded to us by Rav Desla, <clears throat> in which Rav Desla explains that the same way that when God created the world, he created the world out of a rutzon, out of a will to give. And he, you can't give unless there are those that are on the other end to receive the good. 
Right? So the world was created with chesed, olam chesed jibana. It was the ratzon of HaKadosh Baruch Hu to give that in fact created the world. So Rav Desla explains that when it says in the verse, kibitzelam alekim, ases ha'adam, that means that he put into the human being also this, this spiritual need of giving to another individual. And that every person possesses a certain need to provide and to give to another person which can be defined as the tselem elakim of the human being. The tselem of elakim that's in the human being is that in the same way that God gives, the human being also has a deep desire for giving. And in that way, he's created in the tselem of elakim. In fact, when we talk about the generation of the flood, okay, we talk in the generation of the flood about all kinds of sins. We talk about gzela, we talk about uh, stealing, we talk about... We talk about Arias, we talk about Hashchas uh, Zerah, where people did everything to, they had wives just for the pleasure of having wives, but not for procreation and for the settlement of the world. There are all kinds of different things that we talk about. And in the Zohar, the Zohar says that the Averis of that generation destroyed the Tzalem Elikim. And the way the Zohar says it is that God didn't destroy mankind until man had destroyed his own Tselem first. It was only after the Tselem was destroyed that then destruction was able to come into being. Now again, what does that mean over there? Why does the Zohar talk about the Tselem being destroyed? Because if you know, this is again a discussion that Rav Dessa talks about. The Aveir of the Dar HaMabal was that they were not givers, they were hoppers, they were takers. And when they identified only with grabbing, 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 and not with giving, right? not in terms of giving to other people, not in terms of settling the world, not in terms of giving to another individual, that's the biggest destruction of what we talk about as the Tselem Elikim. And when the Tselem Elikim is destroyed, so the world cannot go on existing. Right? God created the world, and the world goes on existing because there is in this world human beings that carry that Tselem Elikim, which keeps the world going. Right? So that's another context of what the word Tselem Elikim means. <clears throat> we talk about, for instance, the conduct that they had with their wives, that it should be dafke in a way that it, their, their children shouldn't be brought into this world. We talk about it in ways of shvichas damim, of destroying, yeah? of murder. What's the murder? What's the We're not talking about abortion. We're talking about birth control. But it's referred to in the way, it's referred to in the way of murder. So in its simplest uh, interpretation, we say that it's murder because the, the possibility for life, and then if you ruin the possibility for life, so that's murder. But in a deeper sense, the Mepharshim explain that the murder that's going on over here is the murder of the Tselem Alekim, the destruction of the Tselem Alekim that the human being possesses. And in not wanting to assume the responsibility of giving to another or providing for another or bringing life into this world, what the person is doing is he's murdering, but not the, he's not murdering the possibility of life. But what in fact he's doing is his own shvichas damim, the murder of the tselem elakim that was given to him. Now this concept, this is really digressing from the point, but this concept of tselem elakim has many ramifications. For instance, we talk very often about the fact that a person would be attacked by wild animals. Yeah, or fall into certain kinds of dangers only after that person committed the kind of an Aveira that removes his Tselem. In other words, that if a person does, commits a certain act 
which removes his tzalem alakim. So then it's conceivable that even animals or other lowly beings will not have the respect for that human being because they do not, they do not see in that human being the tzalem alakim. So in fact, not only is tzalem alakim a quality to live by, but it actually is something that can be sensed by even chayas. It can even be sensed by animals and other elements, lower elements. And the tzalem of a human being is not only the way he develops, but it's also his protection to a certain degree. There's a lot of discussion about this. This is really digressing, but in terms of the entire issue with Cain and Hevel, right? With Cain and Hevel, where he had the fear that he would be punished by the animals and that whoever he would meet would kill him for killing Hevel. This was, the Zohar explains, this was intimately tied that because he had taken away life from this world, he had lost, in fact, his Tzalem, Elakim, and because he lost his Tzalem, Elakim, he would then become easy prey. And there would be no distinction between him and any other animal of prey for the rest of the animals that were in the world at that time. So this Indian of Tzalem has many different ramifications. Now what Reb Chaim Velazhen is going to do is he's going to give us yet a third dimension in what this word Tzalem means. So far we know that it means it's a mirror of God's conduct. Number two, we know it's very specifically the conduct of giving. Right? Now Reb Chaim Velazhen is going to say another one. Amnam when we talk about <coughs> this word Salam Alakim, in other words, not only the word Salam, but the word Salam Alakim, okay, and we don't say Salam Alaf Dalad Nun Yud, or Salam Shaka Yud Salam or Salam Kale, yeah, Kishem Alakim Yadua. So this is where we get our hint what the word Salam means. Because what does the word Elakim mean? Yadua Perushe. We know what the word Elakim means. Shehu Maureh. It teaches us. What does the word Elakim teach us? Shehu Yizbarach Shemai Bal HaKaychas Kulam. What the word Elakim means is that God is a God that possesses all powers. I think it's called omnipotent in English. In other words, he's Bal HaKaychas Kulam. Kemashamah Betura Arachayim Simen Hay. This is what is explained in the Torah, in the Shulchan Aruch, okay, in Simen Hay, that the word Elakim means that God is the Baal HaKaychas. Okay? Now, how does that distinguish between other names? For instance, the name Yud K Vav K right, is the name that we refer to as the God of Chesed and the God of Oneness, right, which is a discussion that we might have sometime, why it's both Oneness and Chesed at the same time. Okay? Shakai, for instance, Shindalad Yud, is the name that God uses for holding back a certain amount of resource. In other words, when God created the world, yeah, the world was going on and on and it was becoming more and more physical until God said, God said, let's stop at this point before the world becomes too physical. And that's the name of Shakai. Okay? The name Kael is also another name and that refers to more of something towards the Midas Hadin, the attribute of, of justice. Okay, Tzvakais, when we talk about God being Hashem Alakim Tzvakais, we're talking about God being a warrior. Right? So each name of God has a different attribute. Now, the name of God, which is Alakim, refers to God's being Baal HaKaychas, that he's the one that is the Baal, the master of all forces in this world. The What does this mean when we say that God is the Baal HaKaychas, that he's the master of all forces? Kilaikimidas Basavadam Midas Hakarish Barhu. 
<coughs> because the Mida of the human being is much different than HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Why? Ki ha'adam because when a person builds a building, Derech Marshall, let's give for an instance, Me'ait, from wood. The person that builds the building, think for a moment, did he create the wood? He didn't create the wood, he just takes the wood and he puts it, he takes wood that was already created, and he puts it together. Okay? In other words, but he's not, he's not responsible for the resources. The resources are there, he just puts them together in a certain fashion that they become a building. Okay, Now another distinction. After he puts the building together, the way he wants, even though his input is already out of the building, okay, even so the building exists. And as provided that you put up the building the right way, the building stands. So here are the two points here. Number one, when he puts the building together, he wasn't the one that created the resources. He just put them together in a certain way that it creates a building. When he's finished with his building, he leaves, he has nothing to do with the building and the building stands independently of himself. Right? That's the human being. Right? But when it comes to God, in the same way that at the time that he created the world, okay, God actually created them and originated them something out of nothingness, with his power which is without any limitations, so too, from that time on, for all times, it's in their entire strength of existence and establishment, Toloi is suspended on the left side of the page. Okay? It's exactly dependent upon the will of God to keep it going. Now this is an interesting thing. The human being comes on the scene after the thing is created. And the human being is only putting the things together and then the building stands. Right? But what God is responsible for is for putting the thing into existence in the first place. Right? And it was his will that put the thing into existence in the first place. Being that it's his will that put the thing into existence in the first place, so that will is the thing that keeps it going all along. The human being's will is not what keeps a building together. He was never responsible for the creation of the thing to, to begin with. He was only responsible for the taking the things that do exist and put them together in a certain way. But who was responsible for the thing to come into existence to begin with? That's HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And that exists every single moment of time where everything is, only exists because there's a Ratzon for it to exist. So when we say that God is Bal HaKochos, when we say that God is capable of doing everything, okay, it's much different than the way, the way we view the human being that could do everything. The human being, no matter how, how much of a green thumb he has, and a jack of all trades that he is, but he is merely putting together resources that already exist, and he is not constantly responsible for their existence. When we say that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is Baal HaKaychais, what that means is that even though we have a world that exists with all its forces of nature, and it seems to exist independently, when we say that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is Baal HaKaychais, what we mean is that His will is constantly feeding into this world that those things should go on existing. 
So yes, there's a force of gravity and there's all kinds of forces that exist in the world. But there's a Baal HaKaychus that makes all those forces exist and that's the will of HaKadosh Baruch Right? The example that we once gave for that is that you can have a, a beautiful air conditioner, but if you don't have the electricity, it doesn't, it can't do anything. The electricity of the world is Ritzana Yizbarach, is the will of Hakadosh Baruch <coughs> Now, b'mashuhu Yizbarach mashpia b'hem b'ritzani Yizbarach kol rega kayach b'shifas arachadish, and Hakadosh Baruch with His will is constantly feeding into this world new energy. Right? There is a constant energy coming into this world. And if God would remove, even for one moment, this Shefa, this providence, and this energy, the entire world would turn okay, into nothingness instantly. And this is what the Anche Knesset Agdaila teach us. And this is what we say in davening, that this was put into the davening by the Anshei Knesset Hagdaila, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu renews in His goodness every single day the entire creation. Right? Which means that there's a constant will that feeds into this world that keeps everything existing. And it's in the same way that the air conditioner stops running the minute you pull the plug out, Right? In the same way, this world would cease to exist as we know it if HaKadosh Baruch Hu's will would disappear for a moment. Hainu tamid mamish. What we mean over here is tamid mamish. In other words, it means constantly. Kol es verega, every single solitary moment. Verayasa mefureshes ka'amur. Okay? And the proof of this is very clear. La'aysa ayrim gedailim. Okay? When we talk about the fact that God created luminaries in the sky, we say that God creates them. We don't say that God created them. We talk about it in the present tense. The Shalai Amar Asa. Ella Osa. He's constantly doing. Right? Now we skip the Haggai and we go to the next thing. And this is what we mean when we say that God is the master of all forces. Master of all forces doesn't mean merely that he controls them. It doesn't only mean that he brought them into being. What it means is that he is always at the helm of control. He is always the master that feeds the will into these forces for them to exist. All the individual forces that exist in any world, they are all from God. He's the master that feeds it. Right? So when we say Balakochus, what we mean is not only that he is on top of it, but he's the, he's the Balabas. He's the one that's constantly feeding it. He feeds in the energy of strength that's necessary for them to exist. And because they are suspended on God's will, therefore, it always exists. Therefore, God has the complete capability of changing and altering them towards His will. See, if you assume that God is the Baal and He created the world, but once the world is created, it runs on its own, 
Right? So that doesn't necessarily mean that God can at, at any given time intervene and change the order. You could say that once it runs, it runs. Yeah? Like you, you put gas in a car and it runs. Yeah? Finished, so now it's running. But being that we're saying that the interpretation of the word balakalchus means that there is a constant feed in order for those forces to exist, and that feed is never absent. So if it's at any given moment God wants to change the situation, he could change it. Because the whole feed of the situation is his will. If he, at any point of time, he says that this is not my will, that it should operate in this way, as easy as it was for God to create it, it's just as easy for God to change it. It's not as if it's now an independent force of existence and now God has to rattle the universe and change Sidre Mas Eberatius. It exists from moment to moment because there's a Ratzon. And as easy as the, as the thing exists in the Ratzon, that's as easy it can as it can change when the will changes. Right? Now, this is an interesting point before we go further into defining what the Tzalem Alakin means in terms of the human being. But this is a very interesting point. A lot of the people that grapple with the concept of miracles okay, grapple with the problem. Yeah? <clears throat> that it doesn't make sense that after God created a universe and he made a universe that he should alter and he should change and he should mess up Sidre Masa Right? Now, there are different levels of not being able to appreciate what a miracle is all about. Right? There are those that believe that a miracle is just impossible to happen and that every miracle must be interpreted as some kind of physical phenomena that has changed. Right? And there you get the people that say the Kriyas Yamsuf was because it was a drought year and because the position of the moon and its gravitational pull on the water was such that it appeared to be like the water was splitting and dismiss everything away and the Choshech was a lunar eclipse or a solar eclipse or whatever you have. You know, there are all kinds of different... And that comes out of an inability to be able to see that God could change right? Now, the truth of the matter is Right? The truth of the matter is that there is a certain truth to the fact that God doesn't want to mess up a system that he, that he predetermined to be the wisest system for the world. That's true. God created the world. He made a system for the world. And the system that he made was based It was based in tremendous wisdom. And to say that every, at, every, at every bat of an eyelash that it's going to change, that's definitely not acceptable. Okay, because that would, that would be mitigating the wisdom of how the world was created in the first place. But to say that it was impossible for the change to occur, that's totally uncalled for. Why? Because impossible to change would mean that once it exists, now it has an independent existence of the one that created it. And this, the Nefesh HaChaim says, it's just not true. It exists from moment to moment only because there's a constant will for it to exist. So if there would be at any given moment a change in the will, that would immediately make a change in the thing. In other words, it's not as if the world is de facto. It was created and now it's here. It's a will that keeps it going from moment to moment. So as easy as it is for nature to go on in the way that it goes on, it's just as easy for a miracle to happen. It's not less, it's not any greater a feat on God's part to make a miracle happen than it was to create the world and to make the world exist from moment to moment. 
In the same way that the word God can constantly keeps the world going, yesh me'ayin, with his will, it's no greater a feat or lesser feat for it to change at any given moment. Right. <coughs> now, the interesting part, the interesting part of this is that even though Rav Chaim Velazhin is saying it in this way, Rav Chaim Velazhin is saying it in this way, we do not perceive it in this way. We don't understand the world in this way. We don't understand that if there's a desk in front of us and if, if God's will would be that, that this desk shouldn't exist, that it would instantly vanish before our eyes. We don't live like that because we live in a very physical world and that is part of the He'elem. That is part of the darkness that we define this world as. The dif- darkness that we define, the word Olam comes from the word Helam. What is the Helam? The Helam is that we do not see the will and the truest source of the existence of all things. That is the Helam. Why was that Helam created? That Helam was created as a challenge for man. It was created as a challenge for man. If the human being would be able to see the will and the desire of God behind every single thing that's in existence, the human being would have very little free will. But by circumstances existing, because they exist, that sets the stage and that sets the tone for the human being being able to make choices. He can think that his parnasses cause and effect and it doesn't come from God. He can think that things that happen to him are coincidental and acts of nature. There's all kinds of hester, there's all kinds of choices that the human being is open to making, being that the person cannot see the divine will that's behind the existence of all things. Now the truth of the matter is, so in other words, teva, nature, is one of the tools of concealment on God's part because of the regularity of things and the physicalness of this world, this becomes a tool of hiddenness in which, which gives the person the opportunity for bchira. If the person raises himself to the level of awareness where he knows and he believes and he sees and he senses that everything in creation is completely ritzano yisbarach, it's all the will of God, okay, then it's conceivable that for him, God will make miracles in the same way as natural occurrences. In other words, nature was created as a situation by which the person now has Bechirah to see God or not to see God, to find God or not to find God. But if it becomes 100% clear to the human being that this is not a table in front of me, but the will of a manifestation of God's will that's in front of me, so then there is no test for that human being. And for that human being, it's very conceivable that God will conduct himself with him in miraculous ways because for him there's no purpose of having Teva. Teva is as long as the person needs the darkness of Bechira, the darkness necessary for Bechira. But as once it becomes so clear to the human being, so then for him a miracle is as easy as something else. And that's the concept behind the Tana and the Gemara that didn't have oil for Shabbos. And he went ahead and he said, Misha Amar L'Shem and V'yadlik, Yayim L'Chaim V'yadlik. The same person, right? The same person that said, in other words, God, that said that oil should burn can make vinegar burn. And he went and he took vinegar and vinegar burned. Right? Now, if you're going to do it or if I'm going to do it, it's not going to work. Okay? But for, but for him, to him it was very simple what made the thing burn. 
So God didn't have to hide behind the natural phenomena of oil burning. Right? And that's very important. So if a person wants to interpret a miracle, so let's just sum it up. If a person wants to interpret a miracle as being some kind of a change within the structure of, of a physical world, that's fine. You can do that. But not with the premise of saying that it was impossible to be out of the framework. In other words, if you want to say that God doesn't alter completely his physical world to make a miracle and you want to find an interpretation within the context of the physical structure of the world, that's all right under certain circumstances unless our Chazal tells us differently. Okay? Because God doesn't rattle the world unnecessarily because the world was created in wisdom to begin with. But to go with the assumption that it's impossible for God to go outside of the realm of the world that he created and create a miracle, that, that, that's unacceptable. That's unacceptable because it's as easy for God to make a miracle ha- happen as to, make the, as to make the world go on from moment to moment. Right? So to assume that it's impossible, the, the concept of impossibility, that's, that's an unqualified and a wrong statement. Right? Okay, so now let's go on Paragimel. <coughs> Cain, okay, we really have to stop here. We have to accommodate people that are going back. Chaim um, Velazhina gave a definition of what we mean when we say Salam Alekim. And the way he was trying to define Salam Alekim was by first explaining that when we talk about Alekim, when we talk about the name Alekim, it means something very specific about God. It means the fact that God is a Baal HaKochos. It means the fact that God is the one that is the master of all forces in the universe. And that, in fact, he created everything out of nothingness. And he's constantly keeping it going by his will. That was the definition of the word Elohim. The creator of the world, the one that's responsible for all present forces in the world, and that they exist from moment to moment because of God's will for them to exist. So that's quite a big name for the name Elohim. Now what he wants to define is that he started off the Sefer by <coughs> saying that in the beginning of Bracious it says that the human being was created B'Tselem Elohim in the form, in the form of, of Elohim. Now we know that God has no form and he has no structure. So therefore, what Reb Chaim wants to do is he wants to define what Tselem Elikim means. <coughs> and he says it's obvious that since we say Tselem Elikim and we don't say Tselem Adonai or some other Tselem, so there must be something specific in the human being being created in the Tselem Elikim more than any other name of God. And that's what he would like to explain at this point. Paragimel. Kein bedimian zeh In Soto... We can say in comparison, not a complete comparison to God, but a similar comparison. Baruhu Yizbarach Es Ha'adam. God created the human being. V'hishlitai al ribei rivven kaiches va'elamis ein mespa. So too, God created the human being, and He gave within the human being's domain the sovereignty to be able to be to affect thousands upon thousands of worlds and forces. In other words, in the same way that God created the, the, all these worlds and is responsible for their ongoing existence, 
so too he created the human being and he created within the human being the connection between himself and the world that through the things that a human being does he is responsible or he affects all those olamas. So in that way he was created with Salam Alakim and now he's going to explain what he means. Not only did God give the human being the capability of affecting the different worlds but in fact God gave over the worlds to the human being. Now what does he mean by this Umasram Biyadai? In other words, in the mission of the human being, God wanted that the human being should elevate himself and elevate his world with him. In the famous words of the Misil Sishar, Kishahu Misala, when the human being goes up, Misala Ha'olam Imo, the world goes up with him. Now that's not just one of these uh, <coughs> bonuses that when he goes up, so the world goes up with him. That was in fact part of the mission. Part of the human being's mission is that through his own avoda and through his own aliyah, through his own elevation, he is in fact raising the world together with him. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted that. Umasrim biyadai are the words of Rav Chaim And God gave over those worlds into his hands. They're yours. To do with them as you see fit and hopefully to do the correct things. This is very similar to a medrash that it says at the end of Parshas Bereshis, where HaKadosh Baruch Hu creates the entire world, then creates the human being, and then says to the human being, look at the palace that I've made for you. And I only hope and pray that you don't destroy the palace that I've built. So it's the same kind of idea. Umasun biyadei Hakadosh Baruch Hu gave it over into your, into the human being's hands. Sheehu hamadber. The word over here is madber. That you should be the the conductor, the hamanig and the leader. Aisam them al pikoprate tenuas maasav. You will be responsible for the condition of the world, depending upon all the particulars of your movements. What does that mean? Maasav through your actions you will be affecting the world. Diburav, through your talking you can affect the world. Or Machshevaisav, and through your thoughts. So in other words, it's not only through actions alone that the human being has an effect on his world, but in all three realms of, of human endeavor, that being action, speech, and thought, in all three ways, the human being is linked to his world and can affect his world. And he's going to explain what this means. And all the different orders of a human being's conduct, be they positive or be they negative, whatever the human being is doing, they re- reflect themselves in the world. Now, because through a person's actions, speech, and good thoughts, he is establishing by his good actions, thoughts and deeds <coughs> and speech, he is giving strength to all the higher worlds. We'll explain this in a moment. And he adds upon them holiness and light. Like it says in Yeshaya, and I put my Torah into your mouth. By that, you can spread out the heavens and you can establish the earth. Now, what does this mean? What the Reb Chaim is saying is like this. <coughs> Reb Chaim is explaining that, of course, when we talk about the fact that the human being is responsible for the aliyah, for the elevation of the world, or of the yirida of the world, 
So he makes a reference over here to the fact that when a person thinks, talks, and does good things, he gives strength to Olam Salyanim, to higher worlds. And he's Moses by Kedusha Va'ir, and he lets into them higher levels of holiness and light. What is he referring to? Right? The truth of the matter is that, that a human being does not create Kedusha Va'ir. Right? Kedusha is not a creation of the human being, that he creates Kedusha Va'ir. The difference being that there is a Hakarish Barchu that's on the giving end. Right? And they're, they're only to the extent that the human being is ready and asking and meritous of that Kedusha can that Kedusha manifest itself. Right? In much the same way that if a person will not be able to receive a gift because he will immediately smash it. Right? So the gift remains in the hands of the person that wants to give the gift because it can't be transferred, but not because there's any kind of a lack in the giver, but because the receiver is not yet ready for it. In the same way, HaKadosh Baruch Hu's Kedusha, His holiness, His light, the different energies that can feed themselves into the world in a positive way, need the human being at the receiving end ready to receive them. So when we say that the human being through his actions and through his thoughts and through his dibur is most of Kedusha, it doesn't mean to say that God has X amount of Kedusha and now the human being is making more. Chas that's not what we mean by it. But what we mean is that there's a tremendous amount of energy, but that energy cannot manifest itself because the human being is not meritous of receiving it. Through the human being's actions and everything that he does, he becomes a worthy recipient. Therefore, that Kedusha can manifest itself in a, in a, in a real way in this world. Right? <clears throat> I thought control. Excuse me? I thought control. To a certain degree, thoughts are controllable. We're going to get into a discussion about what, uh, in other words, how, he's going to speak very, very specifically about thoughts because in many things he says the thought pattern of the human being is responsible for a lot of a lot of the Kedusha that comes into the world. We're going to see very soon. Yeah, and we'll discuss to what degree it's controllable, to what degree it's not. <coughs> so in other words, what he's saying over here is, and there are many psukim like this, that when a person does good, so he's Mosef Kawach, he gives strength. It doesn't mean that he's giving strength to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Whatever we do, either way, doesn't minimize God's strength or give him, or give him greater strength. What it means is that the way that God relates to this world and the way His Kedusha and His Ur manifest themselves into this world, is it a more living God or not a living God? That's what the human being is responsible for. And symbolically, we say that we're Mosef Koach, that we're giving more strength. But it doesn't mean that in essence we're giving more strength to the Atzmis. And this is what it means. We say this for those of you that say it every day and for some of us that say it just on Shabbos. Don't call it children, the ones that build. What does this mean, the ones that build? It doesn't mean just the ones that build the edifices of Torah in this world, but means that through the ma'asim of Talmud Chachamim, there is building that's going on in all Eilamis, in all worlds, because this world becomes more meritous of Kedusha. Because by the actions of the Talmud Chachamim and the ones that do Torah mitzvahs, they are actually putting in order all the worlds. Now this is a very interesting thing when he says that you're putting into order all the worlds. In other words, there's a, there's a succession of worlds that were created. Right? And there's a certain degree of a flow of holiness that can go down from one world into the next. Right? We upset 
Okay, we upset the natural flow that can go down through the Eilamais, through different things that we do. And through Torah Mitzvahs, we set the thing straight so the thing flows properly. There's no stoppages, there's no diversions, there's no, there's no places where the, where the kochos get wasted. They leave their source and they, they come to their recipient end. <coughs> Excuse me? Yeah, he's referring to Sfirat, in terms of Sfirat, in terms of Alamas. In other words, and the way it flows down, there can be different things that hinder its flow into this world. And what the Talmud Chacham does is more than create the flow, but he straightens out the pipeline so that it can flow through in a straight manner and it should find itself into this world. Kibona ha-misadr and it's similar to the person that sets his building straight. And therefore, once the thing is all set up properly, so then what flows is very strong and very good. Well, the hepechas v'shalom, and God forbid in the opposite, if a person does, talks, or thinks things that are not good, he is destroying the possibility for, many, for very many good forces, and many of the higher worlds that can bring this holiness into this world all become disassembled. Right? And those things don't come into Lain Erech Vashir, and we have no idea how much is within the, the human capability of building or destroying. This is what he's saying over here. Kimasha Amar, and this is the Pasuk in Yeshaya, Maharsayach Umachrivayach Mimech Yetzeyo. Yeah, it doesn't say the end of the Pasuk here, but it says that the destruction, right? the destruction comes from you. It doesn't come from anybody from without, but the destruction that befalls you comes from yourselves, from your actions, your, your thoughts, and your talking. Sometimes we can totally knock out a Kedusha from coming into this world, where it doesn't come into this world altogether, or that we diminish it, we darken it, and we make it smaller. And to the degree that the holiness doesn't come into the world, a void is created, and the opposite reigns in the void. The Tumma reigns in its void. So he's saying a very powerful thing here. He's saying over here that this is what we mean when we say Tzalem Elohim. In the same way that God created the worlds and sustains them from moment to moment, God created the human being also to a certain degree with the capability of sustaining worlds or destroying worlds by his actions, by his thoughts, and by his speech. And in that way, the human being is created B'Tselem Elohim, in the Tselem of... And this is what he's saying. What does this mean? That the same way that God is the one that's responsible for all the forces of all worlds, and God conducts them... He he order he puts them into an order. Umanhigam and he and he conducts them Korega every moment, Kiritsono in the way that he wants. Kane Hishlit Ritsana Yizbarakasa Adam Shayahu Hapiseh Bahasaiger shall come alfe revise Kaikasvailamis. God put at the helm of all of this that occurs, he put the human being there. And the human being opens and closes as many forces and worlds that can translate themselves into this world. Depending upon the particulars of the order of his conduct, 
Bechal inyanit in every activity. Bechal eis mamish every moment. Now here he's saying something that's very interesting. You would think to yourself that you would think to yourself that what Reb Chaim Velazhin is saying is like this: that when a person does a mitzvah, good, so he's meriting bringing more kedusha in the world. So he's he's intensifying the kedusha. He's opening up worlds to translate their kedusha into this world. And when a person does an affair, he's doing the opposite. But that's not what Reb Chaim Velazhin is saying. He's saying more than that. Reb Chaim Velazhin is saying that every moment of a human being's existence, he's doing one or the other. Now, how's that? Every single moment of the day a person's doing a mitzvah or an aveira, there's sometimes that we're doing things that are, quote-unquote, neutral. Right? They're neutral. But that's not what he, he says very clearly. He says, Sidre han the order of his conduct. He's not talking about mitzvahs. He's talking about the human being's conduct all day long. He's not talking about any specific mitzvah. And, he, and the proof of it is, in every single thing that he does. If he meant mitzvahs, he would have said mitzvahs. He says, Bechal and Yanev, in everything that he does. Bechal Eisverega, every single moment. I know Reb Chaim Velazhina would consider us all big tzaddikim, but to assume that we do mitzvahs, Kal Eisverega Mamish, I don't think that's, that's, that's who he was talking to. Right? So what does he mean? So what he means over here is something that's very interesting. There's a concept <coughs> which you're most probably all familiar with. I don't have to expound upon it. But there's a concept which is called Bechol Drachecha De'ehu. Which means that in all your ways you should, you should, you should be serving Hashem. Bechol Drachecha De'ehu. In all your ways you should be serving Hashem. Which means that in business you can be doing Avodas Hashem. And in your eating you can be doing Avodas Hashem. And in your sleeping you can be doing Avodas Hashem. All depending upon the fact if you do it L'Shem Shemayim or not. Are you doing it L'Shem Shemayim? Right, so what Reb Chaim Velazhin is saying over here is the following thing. What I am telling you, that you can affect the olamos. It's not only in pure mitzvahs and pure averis. The idea that you can affect olamos is in every single moment of activity. The bechal drachecha da'eyu, that in everything that a person does, it can be geared l'shem shemayim, or not l'shem shemayim, that also affects the olamos. It's not only the mitzvah or the avera. It's not as if when the person says, okay, now I'm going to do a mitzvah, okay, all you worlds get geared up, I'm going to, you know, really sock it to you, or that kind of a thing, or an avera. It's in every single activity that the human being does, whichever direction it's going, it's building or destroying. So he's not giving us any escape here whatsoever. In other words, when doing mitzvahs and averas, we're building and destroying. When we're talking about mitzvahs and averas, we're building and destroying. When we're thinking about mitzvahs and averas, we're building and destroying. And when we're eating and we're sleeping, when we're doing this, we're also building or destroying. In other words, that's the human being. In other words, the human being's mission and the human being's connection to this world is a constant one. Right? It's a very, it's a, it, in mitzad echad, it's a tremendous responsibility. Mitzad sheni, from the other side, it also gives you an idea of the treme- tremendous dimension of powers that a human being has to affect the alamas. Yes? In other words, you're saying there's no vacuum, actually. There's either Tov or God, one or the other. In other words, you are always at, you're always at the controls. Yeah. Well, what, I didn't go into that, but means that there is no, in, in essence, there is no neutral action. In other words, says that the human being, due to his kavana, and due to his endeavors is either building tov or going in a direction that will eventually come out to something that's negative. 
In other words, every human activity is, it might not be a direct mitzvah, but it's going towards the building of Tov or going towards the building of the opposite. And that building also fits into this formula of Tzalem Alekim. So he's saying a tremendous, first of all, the Chiddush itself that the human being can build and destroy to such a degree is phenomenal. And then to the bargain, he throws in that that's not only in the activity of pure mitzvahs and pure averis, but it's in every activity of the human being. Everything that the human... Now, naturally, not everything is the same. Mitzvahs, okay, mitzvahs will do, build more than a neutral act uh, that's done, let's say, L'Shem Shemayim. Or an Avera will destroy more than something that was neutral, that was done shalom L'Shem Shemayim, that was not done with proper kavana. Obviously, the Madregos, not everything builds the same or destroys in the same way. Obviously not. But to a certain degree, every single thing that a person does affects this formula. Right? So you're getting a picture over here that when we talk about the term avodas Hashem, we're talking about we're not talking about something that's stuffed into our life. In other words, I have a life to lead, and then there's religion and ritual and practice that gets stuffed in. You stuff it in. From eight to nine, I give up for shachris. From two to three, or two to two thirty, I give up for mincha. And from nine thirty to nine forty-five is for ma'ariv. And then if I have a shear, I'm stuffing that in also. The tzura of an oved Hashem, the structure of an oved Hashem, is one that is is a constant one. It's a constant. In other words, it's a constant endeavor. It's not something that you let go of. That's your mitzios. That's your essence. That's what you're living for. And everything has to translate itself in terms of that Avodas Hashem. That's what an, what does Avodas Hashem come from? Where does the term come from? It comes from Eved. It comes from a slave, right? So we have all kinds of horrible pictures of a slave, right? Because of all the injustices that were done to a slave. But cutting out all the horrible pictures, but one thing for sure we can say about an Eved. He does not have his own Mitzios. He doesn't have his own life. In other words, as if when the master comes to him and the master tells him to do something, he says, excuse me, I'm doing something else now that's more important. That doesn't exist by an Evid. Okay? The Evid is completely meshubit, he's completely obligated to the ruts and to the will of his master. Right? And when we say an Ovid Hashem, we mean the same thing. What we, when we say Ovid Hashem, that's what we mean. We mean that the person doesn't have his, a separate existence. And then in his separate existence, he also fits in other things. No, this is what he's saying. That's not the nature of the human being and that's not the nature of how he was created. The way he was created was that he was put at the controls and 24 hours a day he's by the controls. And everything that he's doing is affecting. In other words, it's a mission and it's a responsibility that's yemam Valila. It's day and night. Now obviously we can't jump into this all at once. Obviously, you know, it, it becomes a, like a mind-boggling kind of thing to think that every single tnua, that every single move that a person does is an expression of avodas Hashem, okay, that's a very difficult thing. And, you know, so, but it's in madregas. A person has to work on it in terms of levels to the point where he doesn't identify anything outside of his avodas Hashem. <coughs> now, obviously, this also, if I wouldn't be talking to you, if I would be talking to a different group of people, I would be scared to say what I just said now. Because the complex that people have, or the complex or the difficulty to understand, better said, is that the whole society runs completely different. The whole society runs 
that the human being is free and he's an individual and he's a human being and he's kahena v'kahena. And religion is, you know, like the cherry on top or it's where it, it amplifies his existence of life. But we only see it as an amplification. But we don't see it as the essence of life. And that makes it very difficult. You're hindering me. You're restricting me. I won't have expression in this way. Okay? And this is really part of the test of emunah. This is part of the test of faith. To know that that slowly, slowly, slowly everything can become an expression of Avodah Hashem and then it doesn't restrict the human being. But that when it enters into every part of the human being, it makes the human being into a happier person. It's when the person has to jump back and forth between that one life and then that, that religious life that sometimes makes the biggest problems. That he finds that conflict. Here I'm in one, one life and then I have to forget about that whole life and then I have to become the Frumayid. For the, year, for, the, for the hours that I'm in the shul and for the hours that I'm learning. And sometimes, the, sometimes it can express itself as a conflict. But if we em- employ the idea of if we employ the idea that in every way a person can be serving Hashem, then there are just different ways of serving Hashem. From 9 to 5 I'm serving Hashem this way, and from 5 to 6 another way, but they all fall into the context of Avodah Hashem. In the long run, it doesn't make sense to a person that's standing on the outside. But in the long run, there's a, a, a much more consistent flow and a, 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 a greater happiness when a person finds that he's not going up and down, up and down, up and down all day long between Shachas, Minchemayr, and Davinigan and his business and everything else. And this is difficult from the outside to be able to hear, but this is what he's saying here. Right? Now let's see this inside. <clears throat> Now, so he's saying here, first of all, that he affects everything. No matter what he's doing, he's making an effect. Now he's throwing in another idea, which the Ramchal, that Rav Meshachayim Lutzata spoke about quite a bit. What is that idea? He's saying that not everybody affects the same thing. In other words, a, a person that's just starting in Avodas Hashem and does a mitzvah, and a person that been, has been an Ovid Hashem for many, many years and has worked on himself and is on a higher level, what he affects is different. In other words, we don't, by virtue of the act itself, affect the same things. A person can have a, let's say, a, far, a further reach with his ma'aseh than another human being. And that could depend upon his neshama, that could depend on the shorish of his neshama, the root of his soul, and it can also depend upon his particular level that he finds himself on. Those are the two things that it depends on. Some people, by virtue of the shoresh of their neshama, the root of their soul, can affect more than others. Right? And the question that comes up is, well, why, does, why can he affect more and why can I affect less? And that's the same old question, why people are created different. HaKadosh Baruch Hu made people different with different missions, with different things to accomplish. And one person is not better than another person just because one can accomplish more than another. Each person has a tafkid of accomplishing to his maximum where he can reach with his kafas, with his potentials. That's number one. And number two is the level that he finds himself on. A person can have a tremendous shoresh for his neshama, a tremendous source for his neshama, how far reaching. But until it's developed, his mass and his actions don't affect that. Right? The example that Rav Moshe Chaim Lutzata gave was that when Rav Yenison ben Uziel learned a bird that flew overhead was burnt by the Kedusha. 
Yeah? And we can do it 24 hours around the clock and it won't happen. Right? We just hope that the bird won't do something else. Right? But nothing else, nothing else is going to happen. Right? And the answer for that is that first of all, the Shorish of his Neshama was different. How the source of his Neshama came from a, a higher place or a deeper place, whichever way you want to put it. And number two, how he had developed that Shorish. In other words, how much he was able to draw yeah, is also makes a difference. You know, it's like a pump. You have to develop the pump. Yeah? And the more you develop the pump, the more you can pump, pump in. So it depends on your level. On a lower level, the pump is, is a weaker pump. On a higher level, you're pumping more. And that's what he's saying. So that's also a difference. This is why, by the way, the actions of tzaddikim, either way, are very, very important. Right? Because if, the, if a tzaddik has a greater, he's more far-reaching in his ma'aseh, in his actions, so therefore his mitzvahs are, are greater virtues for him, but his averis, okay, his averis he's more responsible for. So we usually think that the pshat is like this. A tzaddik knows better and he understands better. And because he knows better and he understands better, so if he doesn't have very, he's held much more responsible. That's definitely true. But there is a deeper, in other words, there's a deeper reason that, that justifies the, the punishment. His action, lefi ha'emes, in truth, it makes a greater effect. And if it's a negative one, it makes a greater negative effect. Therefore, the punishment is bigger. In other words, we always think that the tzaddik that does something wrong, he's going to get a bigger punishment because you should have known better. Right? That's the technical reason. But the reason in the reality is because his ma'ase in fact destroyed more. Because because he can reach, he, he's more far-reaching in his actions, so his actions do destroy more. The tzaddik, by doing a negative thing, can conceivably destroy more olamos than a person that's just a plain person that did something wrong. So it's not only justified from the point of view that you should have known better. And therefore your Aveir is a worse Aveir. Your Aveir is a worse Aveir because in truth you have a greater, a greater quote-unquote Selam Alakim facet to you. And therefore when you do something, so it, it affects more. And a Ma'asera will destroy more. Right? So it's a direct result of that. Ki'ilu <coughs> And by the way, this also matches very well the, the balance that we always find when we, we talk in, in Yiddishkeit about privilege and responsibility. The two things are always matching each other. Right? They always match each other. We talk about the person being special, which means that he has greater potentials, but greater potentials means greater responsibilities. Right? So it's always, it's always matched up. If you have bigger potentials, that means you can affect more. But if you can affect more, how much greater is your responsibility to affect more? And how much more you would be punished if you would be doing it in the negative? So when we talk about the concept of privilege and of being special and of having greater potentials, that's very heavy. Right? Because being privileged and those potentials all means that your dimension of Tzalem Elikim is much greater. Which means that you're in the capacity of being a bit of either a big builder or a big demolition expert. Either one. You're either a big builder or a big demolition expert. And that's always the balance. You have bigger potentials. You have your hands on.